Hi, I'm Simone W. Johnson-Smith, and welcome to the Immigrant Experience in America. Are you a professional new to the United States and struggling to monetize the expertise you brought across the seas? Are you feeling misunderstood and out of touch because you're struggling to understand the unstated rules of the American culture? Each week, we'll take an in-depth look at the positive contributions immigrants are making to the American culture, marketplace, and life. Our intention is to serve as a bridge from your culture to the American culture, giving you a roadmap of tools and the language to understand the unstated rules of the American culture. Let's get started. Welcome to part three of the previous episode. I kind of wish I had somebody to tell me about the HBCU experience. I never mm. chose for myself. I went to what they call predominantly white institutions for my undergrad. I went to Rockhurst University in Kansas City, Missouri, a very small, desperate liberal arts school. Then I mm. went to American University in Washington, D.C., and I just got lost. But I did encourage one of my cousins, and he went to Hampton. And I was in mm-hmm. my brother's ears trying to get him to go to Morehouse. I still haven't given up. <laughs> He's in his first year right now. Right. I was like, mm-hmm. Howard or, or Morehouse, please, you're going to have a completely different experience. But I wish if I could do it again, I probably would have done that. And I probably would have had a different experience. And I think, you know, just my experience with other Blacks probably has been spotty. But I just really just never really felt accepted. And I just couldn't understand or put my finger like, you know, because I feel like I'm the kindest person. I will share whatever. But it's just it's like no matter what I did, I was never invited to the groups or the hangout because I wasn't seen as one of. And it hurts because I'm like, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm you and I are in the same groups. It's not that I don't have empathy for the experience here. I think my perspective is more global and I understand that the whole black experience, I mean, Jamaica still didn't get reparations, right? There's still issues right. that we're still working out on the island. There's still a lot of different faces of pain in the global black community, as you have expressed before. But I mm-hmm. think you are ideally placed to be the person to be, you know, doing what you're doing right now, because I think sometimes Black Americans have the language for things better than some of us because we weren't reared in that in-your-face type of racism in our generation. Mm. I'm not saying that it wasn't there probably before, but I think maybe from my dad's generation and now mine, it kind of got watered down over the years in some of these former colonies of the British colonies or whichever other country. It just kind of got watered down over time. And I think it's just the harshness and the realness of that experience still has been, still today, still exists here. So you guys are forced to have the language, to communicate, to understand it, the Dr. King movement. And a lot of us just didn't have that language because we didn't have to, it wasn't really in our face like that, you know? So it's not that we don't empathize. It's not taught in the schools. We have immigrant children who come in, they go through the school system and what they are taught are not accurate. And there's so much that's hidden about the history. They don't even have the language to explain what they're experiencing either. Yeah. And I think it's very unique. Uh, The more I talk to people, even when we were living in Taiwan and some of the Black people that I spoke with, I I understood more and more the uniqueness of my experience in that. Yes. 
growing up in these all black educational environments, uh, all of my teachers were black, my principals were black. And so black history was not in February. It was every single day. And so it wasn't withheld from us, maybe overdone a little bit, maybe, maybe, you know, uh, over poor, but certainly in shaping my identity, I didn't lack that. But then I don't think sometimes in America that we have the choice, like you said, in the sense that it is still very prevalent. I mean, right before we moved to Taiwan, it, the first day that I was filming for the my talk show and my first episode was surviving a police stop. And I had two other legal colleagues that were my co-hosts and we had a criminal attorney that was on and we were going to talk about what Black people in America should do if they were pulled over by the police. Because so many of us were getting killed and shot and I was just so tired of us dying. And what could we do? And right before I went to film, it was on my birthday, and I pulled out of my neighborhood and I saw the police officer sitting there on the corner. In season two of the show, you'll see the house that we lived in. And well, you can see it in season one, like the neighborhood that we were in and and everything, gated community and, and so forth. And I pulled out of my neighborhood in my little Mercedes truck and he pulled me over like a block later. And I was like, that's weird. I wasn't speeding. Why is he pulling me over? So I handed in my license and registration as soon as I or I was getting ready to. As soon as I rolled down my window, his hand immediately went on his gun. Immediately. As mm. soon as he saw that I was black, immediately went on his gun. And at the end of it, he, he gave me a warning. I never could figure out why he pulled me over. And his, the first question was, why are you in this neighborhood? Are there any drugs or weapons in the car? And I was like, nope, just a set of car seats. You why know, are you I'm, in this neighborhood? Yes, I live there. Why are you here? Why are you in this neighborhood? And again, this is right before I moved to Taiwan. So you're right to the extent that I don't have the option of not having a narrative because I don't have the option of of not having that happen. There's no box I can tick to say, oh, I'm a lawyer. I'm okay. You don't have to be that way with me. We don't we don't get that privilege of of that not being the extreme, what seems extreme is a normalized existence now more than ever, because that was before we moved to Taiwan. Now it seems, I don't know if it's ramped up or if we just have more evidence of it because of the uh, advancements with cell phones and because we're seeing more. But these type of things were happening. There was just no record of it, but we knew it as a community because we experienced it. And on that day, I and I asked him before he left, I said, excuse me, I just wanted to know, you put your hand on your gun, you pulled me over. What was it about me that triggered you to do that? And he said to me, have a nice day, ma'am. And never gave me an explanation. That was after he looked- He's not going to. Because he has no, no, he has no reason. That is my reality. So if I don't have the ability to put language around that or shape it or understand what it is, that's what also drives people to have PTSD within our communities and that sort of sense of anxiety and constantly living under the threat of harm that others perceive to be mythical or made up. But it is truly our reality. And now we're seeing almost a validation of, well, wait a minute, maybe there is a problem. But there's still so many that seek to invalidate that as a reality. And and in our show, we talk about a lot the whys of Black people are choosing to be expats. The Blacks movement of, you know, I'm a hit on out. Like, I'm tired of this. I'm going to choose to live in places where can you outrun racism? Absolutely not. Will you die from it in other environments? No. And sometimes that's good enough. 
you know, you're not going to outrun racism. There are always going to pe- be people that have their their experiences and their reactions to you because anti-blackness is a global phenomenon thanks to the media, thanks to the news, thanks to other shows that only put forth particular stereotypes. But are other countries empowered to kill you over it? No. You know, in the UK, they can't even carry guns. No one's going to shoot you in Taiwan. No one's going to drag you out of a car and choke you to death in Singapore. That's never going to happen. Will they jump if they see you on an elevator? Maybe. Will they follow you in the store? Perhaps. Will there be bias that people have towards you and anti-blackness? Yes. You will experience things. You might die from it. And that is a huge difference in the American experience and, and something that is the, the why and undergirding a lot of Black people's exodus from the U.S., even if it's for a specific time period, just to get the mental break of being able to exhale without worrying if that's going to be choked out of you the next minute with no way out of it. There's no, you know, that police officer did not care that I was Juanita Ingram. I was in Indiana. I'm a former Mrs. Indiana USA. Nobody cared. No one cared. There was no box to check. There was no badge for me to wear. He did not mm-hmm. care. And yeah. so, you know, it's um that's a reality. And, and so I hope the show helps move the needle on a number of narratives just as this conversation will. And and thank you for creating this space for these type of dialogues to happen because it's so necessary and so important. Yes, I really wanted to talk about it because I felt like I kept experiencing over and over just not feeling accepted by my, by my own Black folks. And, and I was just like, I don't understand it. And I didn't have the words for it, you know? And, I, and mm-hmm. I'm just like, I don't, what am I doing? Like, you know, like I literally started internalizing it. Like, what am I doing wrong? And I even said to my cousin, I said, you, you know, he was born and raised here. I said, you have to give me, a, help me to understand the Black culture because I'm not feeling welcomed or I'm not, and, you know, experiencing it in a friendly way. And I don't understand how to interact. And I literally did say it to him several times. And I called my friend this past, a few days ago, she was born here, what kind of was raised very Jamaican. And I said, I need you to help me understand because I feel like I'm making the same mistakes with my other Black females. And I just don't understand. I feel like I smoothly, easily connect with women of, from different countries whether black, mm-hmm. white, yellow, green, just very easily because, you know, but, but when it comes to my other black American females, boy, I don't know how to get in with them. It's just like, am I wearing a sign on my head? Like, I, I honestly, that is my truth right there. I literally have asked my friends, help me because I'm struggling. And oh, this makes me want to like a, a documentary or something on it, like to chronicle your experience. Like, what is that about? You're not the only one. I've heard other people say that. I've always been curious as to why that is. Like, what is, you know, because sometimes through the lens of the camera, you can see things, you know what I mean? And I'm just, I'm very curious. What did she say to you? Like, what was her advice? I've spoken to a few people and one of my girlfriends from another country said to me, that her, you know, she went to a some graduate level program with another Black American female, and she said they were fine, you know, until she realized that she was from another country and they were friendly. She was friendly with her, and then she just abruptly stopped talking to her for the rest of the class. And she said at the end of the course, she said to her, she said, "When I see how you behave and your comfortableness in your skin and who you are and how you are able to speak up in class," I, she said. 
I see what a free black woman is and looks like. And it, it reminds me that I will never be free. And that was so sad. And so I never met a black woman. that felt like that. That's weird. Yeah. But you know, I don't know, but that was, this is, these are conversations and I'm telling you people, other black women from other cultures, countries are having these conversations. I literally have a girlfriend wow. from Nigeria. She What she does Uh is she goes around different countries as well as different cities in the U.S. And she brings black women from the diaspora together in a room. And she really gets to the core of why do we relate so aggressively or we're not kind to each other? Because that was her. She's Muslim American. Mm -hmm. And she Mm -hmm. she was like, I didn't like what I was experiencing as an immigrant woman from with other black women. She started an organization to help us to come together around the globe within the U.S. to talk about what are our experiences and how do we educate each other about how we're experiencing the world so that we can find common ground. I'm telling you, that would be like a show for you to have because I'm on her. I want to bring her here. I want to be in that room on that panel because I'm like, I need to understand it because I don't even have the language. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. Like, I swear I would walk into a room and I would not, I can feel the energy, like I'm not welcome, you know, and I don't get it. And I I feel like I'm always treated like I'm a threat. And I'm like, girls, I'm just here. I'm not here to take whatever job you think I'm going to take or to take your spot. If I'm, if I'm in the room, I mean, I'm just another black person here who came here legally. And so it's very complex, Juanita, but maybe you are the person who is placed because you've had these varying experiences and you've traveled and you have the language to explain mm-hmm. some of it, you are probably one of those people who need to be in that room to help all of us really kind of come to an understanding as to how we need to receive each other as Black women yeah. when we go to different states, whether it's different spaces in a different country. There is something there. We don't always welcome each other as Black women around the country or in around the globe. (laughs) And Mm. so that's why she started this organization to bring us together. And she says, nobody, I mean, there's no cameras because I really want healing to take place among Black women. When I competed at Mrs. World, and at the time I was representing the United Kingdom, I was Mrs. Great Britain, um, and I was at Mrs. World, and I won't say which country because then people will know who she is, but one of the title holders from one of the African countries came up to me with three other African country title holders with her. And she said, we knew you were American when you walked in the room. We knew from the hair, from your aesthetics, from the look, we knew that you weren't really black British, that you were really American and you don't have an identity. You don't know who you are. Oh, wow. She said it to my face. African-American is not a real race of people. And now to this day, she and I are the like the closest of closest friends. We had a real long dialogue about it. I didn't just stand there. Like I said, I was hood adjacent. You know, saying like I'm peaceful. We had an exchange. It was a very interesting exchange for the purposes of your audience being diverse and not and some of your audience being non-black. I can't share what that exchange was because it was very much probably what what has to happen in a room with no cameras where you have conversations that are meant what we call in 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 like black american culture kitchen room conversation kitchen table conversations like it's not meant for everybody's ears it's not meant for every for all groups to hear it but it's a conversation you have at the kitchen table that you need to have and we had a very deep conversation that needed to be had because 
And it's in, I was working with an a, a executive producer for a film. I was filming in, in Hungary, in Budapest. And the executive producer was Nigerian. And it was right when Black Panther came out. And he had said to me, you know, you know, African-Americans, Killmonger, that's you, right? What and I'm that? like, yeah. Kill, the, 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 in the Marvel film, Black Panther, the first one, Killmonger, that character represents African-Americans, is what he said. And I said, you know. I don't know that. Okay. Yeah, but he's right. It does. I said, but what does that mean about you in terms of the Africans who, who countries who represent Wakanda and the fact that Killmonger was brought to America? He was originally from Africa. You all knew the atrocities, what, what was happening, but you wouldn't do anything about it. You got in your ships and you left him there. And then when he becomes this, what you consider this wild person that doesn't understand who he is, whose fault is that? Who's going to take responsibility and ownership of that when you knew and you left us and you never looked back? Mm -hmm. We have to have these kind of conversations so that we all come to the table and have real healing dialogue about where we are, Mm -hmm. our perspectives, and understand that there is strength, there is commonality, because globally in the world, nobody else is making these distinctions amongst each other. If we are have all of this infighting and, and, and conflict within each other, it does the collective good, the collective body no good. Because at the end of the day, when we walk out of that room and have these conversations, but when we get up and walk out, nobody knows that you are Jamaican and I am African-American. No one in the sense of sometimes those who are in power and how we are handled just in walking down the street or going into a store, nobody cares. And the commonality of anti-blackness that we will all have to face is something that can either unite us or we can either tear us apart. I often have to have these, these conversations and it, it is healing because I think we all need to come to the table with a more balanced perspective of one another and the issues and our perspectives of how we are caring for one another, how we are seeing one another, how we understand um, the background and the cultural differences. And just to acknowledge that there are, you have to understand as African-Americans, so oftentimes we have not been enabled to acknowledge or to even have cultural differences within our own group. And they do exist. I do think though, with my generation and my mother's generation, my mother went to Hampton, that there are definitely a, a larger base of knowledge in global black issues and the nuances that exist there. But there is so much work to be done. The she CEO, I think that is brilliant. And I think those conversations definitely need to be had. And there's work on both sides, because if this is what you're saying, no one can discount your experience. It is not unique. If there's a room full of women like yourself that are having the same experience, we need to deal with that and to really talk about it's real it's real i'm so serious and i've i have so much i use the word trauma because Mm. i know when i walk into a room and there's if i'm the only person there and i'm not the because okay so i speak and you can tell there's somewhat of an accent there i'm not going to be invited i'm not going to be welcome i tell you i have trauma with that and that is my reality i've been on this interview with you and i've been i'm like struggling to hear your accent i'm like man she barely sounds jamaican it's not the first thing i think about when i talk to you that's not the first thing like 
honestly, it's not the first thing that's on my my mind. And maybe we do need to have more conversations so that everybody comes to the table with with a different understanding and a different mindset towards one another. I am I am so accustomed to meeting black women from all over the world. And even on my my show, I, I make the distinction for other people, but there's one cast member, her name is Veronique. We her nickname for us is Moonbeam. And she's from Grenada. Her father is Indian. So she's Blasian. You know, she's she's uh yeah. mixed and she and I were were attending the Stop Asian Hate March. And we were talking about how, and this will be one of the extended scenes that I I put out there. So we were talking about how, once she almost overslept for the march. And I was like, you better get down here. Because it was really important for her to show up for that moment. Because so oftentimes, even in her aspect of Asian, is not acknowledged. Like, I had one consulting producer for season one who was of Chinese descent, but he was Taiwanese. And it's, I think he was second generation Taiwanese. And he criticized me because I had an Asian themed going away party where I had all the people there, you know, try to guess where we were going. And he said, well, it can't be an Asian themed party. You're playing Indian music. And I said, but you do realize India is in Asia. Oh, my Lord. <laughs> and he was just really like, well, it is, but it is. And so the the cultural experiences that I've had of seeing, you know, different groups from different lenses and her Asian identity be one that is downplayed or not enough. Her black, when she, she and I first met, she was like, what did you think of me when you first met me? And I was like, I didn't think anything. I just thought you were black. I didn't really see anything else about you other than black. She was like, that's really interesting. So you don't see like differences in blackness and I'm like no I don't I don't really feel the need to treat you any differently I admire it and I respect it and I think it's awesome and I want to learn from like I want to eat your food I want to know what your dishes are I want to you know experiences experience different cultures I think that's cool but I don't see it as a distinguishing factor of it being problematic I just don't see that but that also we have to see our differences and we have to understand that there are distinctions and cultural differences that we are not all the same. And that has been a, a beautiful journey. I just don't take it as a negative. So, but that may be, she too told me, she was like, where exactly did you grow up in? Like, what is this place called Chattanooga? Where exactly, what kind of no, neighborhood did you grow up in that you don't, I, I don't, I'm not saying like, I don't see differences. Like, you know, how white people would be like, I don't see color. I'm not, I'm yeah. not saying that because I hate that. Cause you, I want you to see my color and I want you to embrace it. I don't want it to be invisible. I don't see differences in blackness as a negative. I think it is fascinating and an invitation for growth and new experiences. And I, I just see it as beautiful. That but, is uh, not the experience of so many though, Juanita, you know that, right? I do know that. I'm hearing that often. What is interesting, though, is that in my circle of over the 12 years that I've been a Black expat, that has been the mindset of a lot of African-American Black expats. And it might be because of our experiences outside of the U.S. It could be that our mindsets toward cultures, countries, 
nuances of blackness are being shaped, perhaps reshaped and educated in a particular way of a different particular lens that we see the world through because we have to see cultural distinction in everything because Chinese is not the same as Taiwanese is not the same. You know, when this whole stop Asian hate movement took place, I'm like, it's it's amazing to me that most Americans, they don't know the difference between being Korean or Japanese. They don't know. And that's an American thing because this is not a black thing. A lot of Americans just don't leave America. They don't yeah. travel a lot. A lot more do. And I think a lot more African-Americans are traveling and experiencing other cultures in other places. And I think it's very important because as we have desires for people to embrace us, we too must embrace others and expand our ability to do so. I see that as a norm and hopefully in depicting that on the show, because I don't show anything that isn't real, hopefully that becomes a bit normalized for us first. And that helps to shape narratives and conversations. Like I said, that you know, that person who who said that to me, that group actually, by the end of the competition, we were all cool and and but the conversation needed to be had. And uh, I could probably only share that on a panel that is exclusive to our ears only. But the conversations need to be had. The dialogues need to be because we already have enough facing us collectively, individually, as it is. Yeah. If there isn't some kind of common ground that we can meet on. And here's the thing. There are personality nuances. You're not going to get along with everybody. You're not going to like everybody. I'm I'm not everybody's cup of tea. And that has nothing to do with me being African-American and everything to do with just me being Juanita. And I may be your cup of tea or I may not be. So there is always that, you know, that everybody's not going to like you. African-American women that I'm not their cup of tea. You know, you know they just don't they just don't like me. It's, that's womanhood. I meet new people all the time and I'm just not their cup of tea. You know, it's just personality, but it's not predicated upon me being perceived as my blackness being different. I think it, you know, if it's truly predicated upon, I don't like your personality, that's totally different than what you're describing. You know, that's a different, but I I recognize that there is, there is that, like there are some toxic people, irrespective of what is driving the toxicity or what they predicate their toxicity on. They are just who they are. But, but yeah, I think these are important important conversations to have. I would love to further them because we need to have them. It's, it's critical. I see the vision, Juanita. You don't even have to explain. And I literally texted my girlfriend last week and she said, oh, I just lost my mom. And I was like, are we going to have like a virtual event coming up for Women's History Month so we can all get together and have that conversation? <laughs> because For me, I feel like I just need to have it. And I feel so there's also another layer to that where as women of color as well, there is some kind of, there's some, how do I, what's the word? There's a lot of awkwardness with how we relate to each other as other women of color. And we, you know, in some spaces, we don't quite support each other. It's like there's competition between the groups because we feel like, okay, there's so many spots at the table and who's going to get it or which group is going to be getting the numbers or whatever. And so it just plays out really weirdly in the workspace. And I'm just learning and trying to figure out like, what is going on? This is, I'm new to this environment, but this is how I'm experiencing people. And I'm trying to make sense of what I'm experiencing. And so that's why I try to have these conversations. 
You are uniquely placed to do what you're doing and more. I, I really do mm. see this expanding to bigger than, I don't know how big your vision is right now, but I, I really do see, because the vacuum and the need for this type of work that you're doing is so massive. And mm. uh, yeah, I'm, I mean, hey, I'm right behind you. Whatever I can do to support what you're doing or to help amplify what you're doing, I, I'm all here with my little space to bring awareness to what you're doing because we, we have to Thank come you. together as the Black community, um, yes. as the Black diaspora. And at times, it's so disjointed. You have the Haitian-Americans, the Jamaican-Americans. You have yes. um, so many different groups of Black within the U.S. And we don't all come together as like one group of Black folks of the African diaspora. And yeah. as a younger person coming up, I'm like, why are we so disjointed? We have to come together. I appreciate that. I, I really, really do. And, you know, sometimes God postures you in a way and and he talks about in Habakkuk. I can't even show you the full vision right now because if I showed it to you, you wouldn't believe me. So, you know, I take everything one step at a time and understanding that when I have a clear vision and a clear green light, I just go forth and go in it. And you just never know what all is meant to blossom into. But I appreciate you being so supportive and perhaps opening my eyes to an expanded vision of what it is that this work means and what the work is still to come. So thank you again for creating this space for these dialogues to happen. It's so important. Thank you for your time. Have a beautiful day. So thank you so much. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Tune in next week for another episode of The Immigrant Experience in America. As this is a new podcast, we welcome any and all support. If you have not done so already, subscribe on the Apple Podcast app, Google Podcast app, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen. You can also support us by completing a five-star rating and review and sharing our podcast with your friends, family, and circle of influence.